Thanks for listening to Elemental Collision. My name is Dave Graham. Today I'm joined by Brian Gum of Ross Street Roasting and Alex Kaza of First Bloom. We're going to talk about coffee and community. Let's have a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Elemental Collision. I keep on trying to confuse this with my other podcast, Two Daves and a Doc. Well, I do not have two Docs on here or two Daves, so this this always makes it easy. But today I'm joined with joined with by Brian Gum from Ross Street Roasting Company, and as well as my good buddy Alex Kaza from First Bloom. So, gentlemen, it is a pleasure to have you on here to talk about coffee and community of all things. Thanks very much. Shocking. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, Brian, we're going to start a little bit with you since you're the new guy on the on the block here, on chopping block, sure. as it were. So, let's get a little bit of your background. Why'd you get into roasting coffee, or why'd you get into coffee in general? And um, yeah, let's let's hear a little bit of your history there. Yeah, um, I think my earliest memories of coffee in general uh, go back to my childhood. I grew up in the rural Midwest uh, in the state of Iowa, and um, one of the one of my family members who took care of me uh, when I was a kid while my parents were working were my cousins that were farmers that lived just south of the town that I grew up in. So my parents didn't drink coffee at home, but um, my older, much older second cousin once removed or something like that, she she and her husband drank coffee all the time. And it was like farmer, Iowa farmer coffee. So, you know, it was like one of the big nostalgic brands um, that is still very much prominent here in the rural Midwest because I still live in rural Iowa. Um, and she made it really watery. And I remember tasting it when I was a kid and thinking that this is just kind of, it's like dirty, <laughs> dirty water. Um, so I didn't necessarily have fun early memories of coffee. And I didn't actually start drinking coffee until I was working in the tech industry, which was my first career out of college, well, during and after college. Um, and I, it was still not very good coffee, but it was really a social element. Um, I worked for a small software company uh, in the e-commerce industry in the late 90s. Uh, and we would gather around the coffee pot in the morning and uh, talk about nerdy stuff. Um, and it, and then I got hooked on the, the drug of yeah. caffeine. So like, then it became kind of like a chemical and social thing. The coffee still tasted horrible. Um, in my mid twenties, my, my wife got me a French press. Um, and so I started dabbling in like making my own coffee at home buying slightly better coffee um and then it just progressed slowly into my mid-30s and i was at graduate school at the time in uh, virginia on the east coast in the u.s and um, i met a few roasters like home roasters in the town uh, that we lived in it was a small city uh, in the western part of uh, the state and they were really cool people that I was already friends with. And I just, I like, I'm like, oh, they roast coffee at home. That's weird and, and kind of cool. So like I just upped my coffee quality game and then was introduced to the craft of roasting at least, you know, through conversation. And then after grad school, uh, eight years ago, we moved back to our home state of Iowa. And we now live in my wife's hometown where she grew up, um, which is about an hour from where I grew up. And, um, 
and I had gotten spoiled on good coffee and then it was gone. And then we moved back, you know, it was like, where, you know, how am I going to do this? I can't order stuff off the internet all the time. Um, so I was like, well, these guys did it at home and I was kind of interested in starting a new hobby. So I was looking at craft beer brewing, which my dad had done a little bit of when I was in high school sure. and coffee roasting at home and did research um, and knew a little bit about both. And like coffee was much uh, cheaper, easier, and faster of a <laughs> process and a turnaround, um, and it, then brewing beer at home. So I was like, "Wow, I mean, if all I need to do is like buy a popcorn popper and throw like a little bit of coffee beans in there, then right. that doesn't sound too hard." Um, and I and that's what I did, and I was hooked uh, on roasting immediately. So I did that as a hobbyist for uh, a year and a half. So I was in my mid thirties when I started it, um, and and then five years ago, almost six years ago, I started drawing up a crappy business plan, um, which I'd never done before. And uh, kind of shopped around for some investors because I'd just gotten out of grad school and bought a house. So like I had two very large loans <laughs> and, um, and I was no longer working in the tech industry. So I wasn't making very good money anymore. So um and so I was like, well, I can't start this myself. So I needed some investment capital, um, found, found some investor partners um, through a personal connection, but they're, they're not family. So it's like they're close, but not too close. Um, and they're located in another state here in the United States. So um, it, was, uh, it was a good working arrangement. And we, that's still the arrangement of the company today. We have like equal partnership in the business. I, I was the idea and the muscle and the sweat, um, and they were the investors and helped uh, provide some accountability that I needed for, you know, financials and all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, so Ross Street Roasting was born uh, in 2015. We were in the spring of 2015. By the fall, we were fully licensed um, to operate as a, as a food manufacturer in the state of Iowa. Um, because of my tech background, we opened with an online store on day one, and um, we've kind of really stuck in that online e-commerce direct consumer channel pretty strongly all throughout our uh, years of operation. We do have a commercial side of our business, but um, our, our really strong focus has been and continues to be and, and probably will be our relationship with uh, direct consumers through, um, through the web and e-commerce, um, social media, all that good stuff. So that's kind of the story of how I got to where I am. Um, yeah, that's how I got, got it. my life story with coffee. There you go. I, I find it fascinating because Alex and I had this conversation last time, you know, like, you know, his pedigree in the software industry as well, right? You know, like it's mm -hmm. all this tech guys tending. You know, it's not the water cooler anymore. It's the coffee pot. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Seems to be one of those formative experiences that we all have, right? I'm in tech as well. Mm -hmm. Alex has been in tech. And, you know, yeah. His company is very technologically minded as well. But um, And I've, I've seen a lot of other people besides myself kind of like go in and out of both. And I, I'm now back in the tech industry. So like I work, I work for a tech company again um, here based here in Iowa. So um, and then maintain, you know, kind of ownership and oversight of the operation of the, the coffee business. But yeah, it's... Uh, those those barriers are pretty permeable. I've seen it happen a lot. So how did you? And, and we found each other via social media as well, kind of a yeah. 
uninvolved third party that was floating out there, I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> turned into one of those weird conversations. Again, it was a right. tech person that was looking for good coffee and wanted to step yeah. into the space. And I think Alex got roped in early and he's like, Hey, you found this. We arrived at you separately. Yeah. I would, I would yeah. have, you know, and, uh, it was, was fascinating how that kind of, yeah, like this community aspect of stuff, which I suppose mm-hmm. is interesting digression in, in just a bit. So Alex, right. you know, we talked two months ago. We've talked yeah. every month since, which I know yep. means that we've talked one other time. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> in the interstitial period, I mean, you know, I've had the privilege of getting to know you, getting to know First Bloom as well, and, and your co-founder a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, how has your path gone? Even, you know, give us a refresher in the in the interim. Like, what are you seeing? Like, uh, you know, have things kind of changed? Are you seeing dynamics shifting? Or are you? Uh, <laughs> what's yeah, going I mean, on in your world? I think. I think since we last spoke, the biggest thing has been the validation of of what we're trying to accomplish um, in more meaningful ways, and starting to see that kind of, you know, the the knowledge gap that exists between roaster and consumer. And Brian, I'm sure you can you can speak to this as well. That there is this this need that people have to understand what they're brewing at home, and and there's this want for roasters to be able to confidently give people their product and be like, yeah, I know you're going to nail it. Um, but I just, I, there's no way in hell that I have the time to be able to guide every single person through this process. Um, and what we're seeing is that, that recurring theme of that gap needing to be validated and needing to be filled. Um, you know, we've, we've grown a bit and we're not focused on growth at this stage in our company. We're still being really intentional about who we bring on and, and mm-hmm. our customers themselves so that we can validate our product and make sure that we're building something that's actually meaningful. But with the 20 or so customers that we have now and like the, you know, we finally crossed our thousand MRR milestone, which feels fantastic considering we're not aiming for growth, but Mm -hmm. that's giving us a perfect test bed of people who have a diverse set of equipment, a diverse background. um, And it's really become this kind of beautiful user study that we're getting paid for. And we're able to give these people agency, like we talked about last time over their, their coffee. Um, And the biggest thing that we've, unlocked now as a business is trying to think about it from a perspective of friendliness. That's kind of our new core value that we've added on top of empathy and agency. And it ties in directly with empathy, but it's the layer of being your buddy. Um, you know, like, like the conversation we're having now, you know, you and I, uh, Dave will go over DMs on like grinders and like this new thing and that new toy that you just picked up. Sorry. Um, and it, it's it's having that buddy that you can ping ideas off of and not trying to be a service, but to be your friend and someone that can guide you through that process because it's it's really unfortunate, but that's the only way you can learn right now is you have that buddy who's like gung-ho and who who's like, holy shit, you need to try this thing, do this thing, try this, whatever. I'm super excited, bear with mm-hmm. me. Um, and, and we wanna be that for you. We wanna be that person that you can text at three in the morning, like. I'm dreaming about coffee. It will be like, fuck yeah. You know? um, so that, that's kind of the new core pillar that we're trying to incorporate um, both in a, in a human way, but also in a digital way, which is going to be really, really fascinating. I think. Yeah. I it's a, like, it's, it's an inf- interesting sensitization, right? You know, people have had to have forced isolation. I mean, I've talked about this for at least for months now, it feels like, you know, and you know, us being social animals, once us wanting to build these communities, and I'm going to get to that community question in a second, but like that intentionality, right? That uh, 
in, in tech, and we all have experience with that, we always talk about this concept of trusted advisors, right? That's like the leading thing a salesman does when he walks in the door. We want to be your trusted advisors. I mean, half the time it's bullshit. Right? We, we want you to write that check because, you know, daddy needs to buy his, you know, new wheels or kind of situation, right? But the other side of that is I think you're starting to see, for all intents and purposes, that B2B, B2C type concept where this becomes, like you're saying, the 3 a.m. call that says, I can't get this off my mind. And Brian, to echo what you're saying, I've been drinking this dirty water, you know, Boston songs notwithstanding, you know, Charles, dirty water. But I've been having this thing, you know, I've, I've been drinking this absolute swill, you know, for the longest time. And I need, I, I know there's something more. It's not just the best part of waking up is that big, you know, multinational corporation in my cup anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, like Alex, you got to talk to Julie. I mean, yep. Julie was fantastic, but that's where it becomes. It becomes this kind of integration, this kind of nexus point of like, hey, I, I have something for you. It's going to be different. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be unique and special. And in that way, you kind of set up these North Stars for people. You say, hey, listen, this is what it could be. Let's get you there. And let's, let's figure it out one cup at a time, if you will. Um, so to that point about community, uh, Brian, I'm going to start with you. You know, what, how do you define community these days? What's changed? Or, you know, even if you look a year back or look a year forward, how does community look to you? Um, I, I think I'm in a period of like profound disorientation and will hopefully move through a period of like reorientation around my understanding of what constitutes community. Um, I've had, I've had some um, philosophies about community in my head over the past number of years that have kind of been shattered. <laughs> um, and in the coffee community anyway. I, so I, I guess, you know, on a basic level, um, I, I'm cheating because I just listened to the, your two, um, the conversation <laughs> that you had back in, back in November uh, yeah. this morning. So yeah. like, I, I know what Alex said and I liked it. Um, like, well, and he mentioned it here uh, just a bit ago and talking about um, what they're doing with First Bloom. Um, and it revolves around friendship uh, was the word he just used. But then the other word he used uh, was trust uh, in the conversation you two had back in November. And I love that. I love those two words. Um, one of our core values as a business is relationships. And you can't have community without relationships, but you can't have community without trust. And I don't think you can have really good community without friendship, uh, friendliness, kindness, hospitality, um, those, are, those are words that mean, mean good things to me when I think about community. Um, and I've, in, in the coffee community, which for me, as long as I've been a professional, uh, well, a hobbyist and then a professional, that has been almost uh, like at least 85% mediated by the internet. Um, because I live in the middle of nowhere, and I was the only coffee snob in a town of 5,000 people. And the closest city, uh, there's five cities that are around where I live, but they're all an hour away, all of them. So, um, you know, and so I don't get to go to the cool coffee shops. I, I have to do it at home 
which is fine because um, that's that's how I started, uh, and I and I enjoy making coffee at home a lot. Um, but it wasn't the cafe community that got me into coffee. It was um, a couple friends that I had that I no longer lived near, so I had to communicate with over the web when I got into roasting. And as soon as I got into that, I found the virtual community around specialty coffee to be a really awesome group of people that are generally very friendly, kind, um, generous with their knowledge. Um, and it's been great. Like, I really, I really appreciate that as a, as a professional in an industry where I don't have people that I physically bump into in that industry. Um, almost at all, especially now. Right? <laughs> uh, so that's that's kind of what coffee and community has meant to me over the past, you know, five years of being a a, a business owner in in the industry. Nice. Alex, any 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 further insights from your side of the? <laughs> I was going to say your side of the border, but come on. <laughs> we're we're on the internet. The border doesn't exist exactly. anymore. We're all digital citizens, <laughs> as the case. Exactly. Be. Yeah. Um, I feel like the only thing that I that I could add is to really echo that point about specialty being a really friendly community. Um, and it's it's definitely been that like, I guess I'm trying to 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 verbalize my fears as well without it sounding too um, uh, pessimistic. but I, I feel like we're at that tipping tipping point now of the industry where there are a lot more people who are coming in with different incentives, and it's starting to shift the framing of a lot of the conversations towards that like personal gain perspective. And we're losing a little bit of that cooperation, um, which I think is, is the unfortunate part of business structures in general and, and the way that we have it. Um, whole other conversation. But I think, I think where, where we're going is interesting in the sense that there's one side that's pushing for democratization of knowledge in a really, really deep and meaningful way. And there's another side that's trying to guard the small slivers of industry in really kind of detrimental ways. Um, and, and you have a lot of these big companies who are starting to buy up a lot of the quote unquote independent small players and they're starting yep. to shift things in ways that are going to become even more ethically dubious. And I think that what we're seeing right now from a, a community perspective is, is everyone wants to challenge that but we don't have the tools to do so effectively yet. And I think that that's where getting to a better sense of transparency and also trust is going to be the, the core underpinning of a successful coffee community going forward and, and removing <clears throat> brand and ego from the equation as much as possible and making sure that people have agency over their decisions and they understand the implications of them is, mm. is still the core fundamental thing of making sure that specialty and community work together hand in hand that's great i, li I like the uh i like the extrapolation there i mean i think it's it's interesting having having been or never done this for revenue but having worked in you know a friend's coffee shop and you know seeing that kind of <laughs> starbucks versus the world kind of mentality right you know there's there's starbucks and then there's the small you know local kind of concept right i guess i privileged in that re in, in that regard to be able to you have that opportunity. I've worked for Starbucks, you know, 20 years ago, which, which ages me quite a bit. But, you know, that being said, 
you know, I think that that inevitable collision, I mean, Brian touched on the home brewing situation or the brewing situation. Microbreweries went through this and still are going through this, right? You see that kind of mm-hmm. large multinational corporations that suddenly buy the little guys, you know, yeah. and then, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to lose that kind of small town flavor. Yeah, yeah, you may not lose the person, but you've lost the identification. You've yeah, lost the yeah. idea, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it becomes hard, you know, especially as consumers where, where as I look into your world, right? Cause I'm, you know, I'm a consumer of your, your product truly as of today, I am, um, you know, like as I look into that world, right. And, and having done the supply side and, you know, worked with sweet Maria's and, you know, a couple of these other kind of different places and roasting myself. Yeah. That differentiation becomes hard. Do you accede to the ideals of what other people are doing? Do you become selfish, if you will, with what you own, what you know, what you have, mm-hmm. or do you, kind of level set and say you build that trust because you understand that all these little paving stones end up equaling the road that you're going to travel on that you end up building towards something that's even better and mm-hmm. i think it's very hard especially in the economy which has collapsed in and of itself right and you know, talking worldwide right where you see these things it's no longer brick and mortar so much as it is it's that direct to consumer it's that you know it's a different kind of ideology that people are having you know they step into it you have this joke in the podcast world everybody's doing interesting conversations within podcasts what makes you different you know stop doing that well i I do this because i love doing it. it's not because i have any kind of super massive investment i mean i do but (laughs) you know like investment on the other side of it but this is a passion project it's something that i can do and thankfully i'm blessed in order to do it right so there's there's a lot of parallels between these things so i I find it interesting that you guys have both approached things but you're both on supply side if you will one you know different flavors of that so to speak um, it'll be interesting to see how the years ahead, how things shift, right? If you see that kind of, you know, shift into that micro roastery concept, right? Home, everybody's a micro roastery. Everybody's a micro provider of their own stuff or see these pockets as they build out. So, I, I actually, on that, that topic of the micro roastery, it's something that, and I'd also love Brian's take on it too, being on, on the, like the actual side of roasting. Um, it's, it's a very like, uh, it's an Asian model, I guess, where you see a lot more cafe roasters. Um, and my time in, in Japan a couple of years ago really highlighted that where I went to visit and pretty much any cafe that was worth its its own weight would have, would be a roaster as well. Mm. And it it's kind of starting to trickle down into Montreal as well. And, and the idea is starting to blossom. A lot of cafes are shifting to roasting their own stuff because it's a more sustainable model for them economically. And it creates a lot more not diversity necessarily, but it challenges people to do more interesting things outside of just sourcing um, and, and figure out branding and figure out how they communicate and build that trust within their own like three block radius of their cafe community. Um, and it, it seems like that's the way the industry is going to push, I think in terms of that like microbrewery aspect of small cafe roasters who buy and sell to themselves, but also direct to consumer for the people who come in and want to take that home. Um, so it's this weird, like interesting dilution of what is the roasting market, but also it creates more, I guess, social ownership in communities, which is really interesting. Anyway, I love Brian, if you, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, you, you have my gears really grinding. Um, and so the, the aspect of community that I did not talk about, um, was our local community where we're based. Um, my, my membership in the specialty coffee community 
like I said, has been all, you know, almost entirely mediated by the internet. Um, but I have a community, a physical community that I live in and that my business is based in. Um, you know, I started the business in my garage, uh, which I'm looking at outside my window. Uh, and now, you know, our shop is just like a couple miles away on the other side of town. And we started this in a, um, you know, rural, rural areas are, have been socioeconomically on the decline for decades. Um, and I'm, I'm 41 years old and I grew up in a small rural town um, that was close to a city. So I, I kind of had a, I kind of had a connection to, to that through where my, that's where my parents were, but now we're even farther out. Um, and, and this is true in, in where I grew up as well. Like, you know, I, I'm not that old. Like I, you know, I was a, I was a child and an adolescent like 20, 30 years ago. Um, and the, the difference in the quality of life socioeconomically in, in these areas has, is dramatically different than when I was um, a child. And it had already been on its way down for the 20 years before that. Um, so this is a tough area to live in and it's a tough area um, to start a new and interesting business model in. Um, entrepreneurship is in very, very short supply in, in rural areas. So um, I say that to just say like the, the community, our, our local community has been very excited and very supportive of our, of our business for the whole time we've been, um, we've, whole time we've been in business. It's true, most of our revenue as a business does not come from our local community, but it's, it's, you know, it's very supportive. Our two small local grocery stores carry our product, which is great. And we don't even target grocery as a roaster. Like I don't wanna be in grocery stores, but our two local groceries, like they, they buy our product and they sell our product and the local people love it. It's awesome. Um, so I, I also think about community in terms of like my, my commitment to place. Um, even a place that's not really easy to live in <laughs> for, you know, somebody who's like a pretty solidly middle-class white dude in a place where that's not really the norm. Um, and so I, I kind of stick out a little bit um, and, you know, it, it creates certain challenges for, for us, like on a personal level, just being in the community. So I don't know, there's, I don't really have anything um, that that's just something that I continue to really grapple with. Like, um, what does my what does my relationship to our local community through this business mean? <laughs> and how do I how do I try to make a positive impact um, for the time that we're here? Because um, you know it. It might not last forever, but I, for the time that we're here, I want it to be, I want it to be as good as, as we can, and can make it. And that's a very different community than the specialty coffee community. Very like, and I mean, what I've been surprised about is that our customer base, we've really built a strong connection with um, online business to Iowa customers, like people in the state of Iowa, we have a really high number of um, customers in the state through our online business um, that don't have access to us through like brick and mortar. So they have to come to us through online and they do. 
and a lot of them are in rural areas. And so like, we're especially coffee roaster. I'm a, I'm a coffee snob, like, um, but we're taking a product that was traditionally totally inaccessible to people like that in rural areas. And somehow we've created this brand that's like accessible and fun um, and friendly. And, and like, we've started to do a really good job of, of getting it out to people like that. And so like my community is also my customers. Um, and that's a, that's a real relationship that I take seriously. Um, and so it's like the weird borders, uh, you know, the, the spheres of communities uh, and the way sometimes those communities overlap and sometimes they really don't. Um, and in my case, like, I think, you know, uh, mine don't really overlap all that much. So like when I go to the especially coffee community, it's like a certain group of people with certain set of backgrounds and dispositions. And then when I turn to my customer base, that's like a totally different group of people. I think it's, it's, it's really fascinating. You know, like we, uh, in an age where information for us is easy, right? I can hop on the internet. I can do these things. I mean, again, look at the way we were introduced to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Some random guy <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, you know? Yeah. Who are these guys in my mission? Exactly. That we sometimes forget, you know, and, and I've had this pointed out to me by, by several folks, you know, it's, uh, it can almost seem hypocritical at times. It becomes easier for us to engage with people that are outside of our local sphere than it is for us to engage with people here. So, I mean, even Alex, to your point about the, the micro roastery concept within that, you know, that three block radius becomes, that becomes your nucleus of community, right? And a lot of times we're so used to going outside of that to get what we want, that we forget that the importance is there, that if we have that agency, <laughs> like literally in all aspects of that word, we have the ability to kind of create this little microcosm of community and build around it, which is why I was impressed by First Women anyway. The first go around is to kind of create that localized, small, nuclear, atomic, if you will, kind of agency in that in that space in that time that you occupy the most which is your house your family your friends the people that you have to relate to on every day you know but then look at our business models i mean a large multinational corporation i work for you know the fact that you are brian on well truly the international stage on twitter but relative to everything you know you have that reach you have that capability you know alex the conversations you've had with people that i know across the ocean as well and the ability to influence those type of things. Again, it becomes really, really easy to have those asynchronous conversations and to build communities in ways that are new and exciting because we've had that technological provision. But it's amazing to be able to step back into your, your, your present, your day-to-day -day and say, hey, listen, I'm here. I can do stuff here. It doesn't matter that I'm the middle-aged white dude. And I, I, I have a year on you, Brian, so not right. to worry. <laughs> not the oldest one here, which is a good thing. Um, but even that, that's the recognition that, like, hey, you know, I, I think that's also part of where, not to bring up politics at all, but I think this is where things have started to shift as well. We all of a sudden recognize the nature of who we are and where we're at in, in our space, in our time, in our, <laughs> in our beliefs, you know, whether it be political or religious or otherwise, right? We suddenly are now very, very hyper aware of these things. And we start to act within those. It's that us versus them in, in the worst cases, but it's the, uh, you know, Rabbi Sachs, Jonathan Sachs, who just recently passed, it was, you know, was famous for saying, you know, it's, it's turning the I to we, it's turning the me to us. And it's shifting that mentality and hopefully getting to that place where agency becomes all of us. It doesn't become just one of us. It doesn't, you know, there's, 
no necessary forcing function that's needed anymore. We've done it. We've created our micro economies, our micro provision and, and done this stuff. And it's a lot of work I do at Dell. Yeah. Not supposed to name it, but whatever. Who cares? You can dump that. Sound like a curse word on here. <laughs> but it's it's that it's that moment. It's where we start to look at data as agency. We start to look at, you know, well, for me, data is my coffee, I suppose. You know, but that's the thing, that's the utility that or that's the commodity that I deal in. So because this is about coffee and I brought props and I'm always wanting to use props, I'm gonna have each of you, you get to pick. There's the French press, narrow press, and the <clears throat> Because Americans, American. because Americans have to be so inventive. I'm looking at you, Freedom Fries. Um, <laughs> what was that about dumpster fires last time, Alex, that we talked about? <laughs> oh, man. I, I feel like my brain has been so overloaded these past two months that I'm, I'm kind of forgetting who you are right now, to be yeah, honest. I'm forgetting who I am constantly. So every day is a new reinvention. All right. So I'm going to get the Canadian to talk about the American press because that's, that's hugely funny to me and ironic in all kinds of ways. <laughs> So give us a rundown on this utility, this tool, sure. and why this is what you believe to be the next evolution in coffee. <laughs> that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of words in my mouth there, man. Um, <laughs> uh, you can change no, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually hated the American press when I first tried it. Um, like I, I despised it as a device. It made no sense to me. And um, shout out to the local boutique slash friend of mine, Cafune. Um, they're awesome, awesome retailer in Canada, but um, he has been championing that device for, I don't know, a year and a half now since he started. He's like, it's awesome. And every time I try it, it just, everything came out flat. Um, it didn't make sense to me. And I didn't understand what I was doing wrong at the time. And it unlocked when I realized that you are doing a hybrid immersion percolation brew and you need to acknowledge that and work with it instead of trying to push it to do things that it will not get you to. So that means high concentration, one to 14, and um, taking your time with it, right? And so the reason why this thing is so amazing is that the, the bit on the bottom for people watching on video screws into a top bit, and that's where the coffee goes. So the coffee is entirely contained in this puck-like mechanism. Um, there's a screen on the bottom and a screen on the top. So that means that you're getting a lot less sediment, but you're still getting a really rich, oily French press-like experience, um, but without the like tons of soot at the bottom, basically. Um, it's so and, true. <laughs> yeah. And what, what you end up with is this really rich and creamy experience. So any coffee that is just inherently sweet um, or that you don't want to highlight the acidity of will work perfectly for that method. Um, and just taking your time with it. Like it's a four minute brew. You're involved with it pretty much the entire time. It's, it's honestly the best, best of both worlds and cleaning it is just a dream, honestly. I can attest to the cleaning part. Is there a particular roast that you think goes really, really well or is it very expressive with this or? I, I try and avoid speaking about coffees in terms of roast because I think it sets the wrong frame of reference when you're going into brewing coffee. Um, you typically want something that would be a little bit sweeter um, something that doesn't have a ton of acidity in terms of profile. So something that is maybe a bit more on the marshmallowy side of the sweetness um, or like uh, caramelized sugars with maybe a tropical fruit note to it. Um, that typically works really well, especially at high concentrations. It's a really balanced profile. Um, if you like 
Stuff that's pushed darker, you're not gonna have any problems with this. Stuff that is pushed lighter just because it's less soluble and it's harder to extract things from might take a bit more work and a finer grind, but you can still get somewhere really interesting with it if you if you play around with it. Yeah, one note on that also, do not grind too fine because you will end up with, as I've experienced, why isn't the damn thing going down? Why does it take, <laughs> you know, arm day in order to compress right. it? So that's a very... You, it's a very good note to make on that. <laughs> yeah, you basically want to be fine, finer than you would a traditional French press grind, but slightly coarser than a typical pour over. So like pretty much smack dab in the middle. Yeah, on I'm your own, at, that's like four, four and a half. Yeah, I was looking at my Odie and I think that's at right now. Well, I'm going to grind today, but like three and a third, maybe I'll try four. I don't know, figure out. Yeah, Brian, any comments on the American American press? This is all new to me. Um, Alex mentioned it to me the other day, and this his detailed rundown of it just now is really my first uh, detailed introduction to it, and I'm fascinated. So um, I, I try not to get myself too many brewing devices, but I have a hard time saying no, and he did such a good job of explaining that. Um, I especially like his uh, reference to, like, I because of our customer base and what they're used to, like I have to speak in roast profiles quite frequently, but I, I've, I've developed a way to kind of like do quick translations for people um, to say, okay, if this is what you're used to, these are kind of the flavor characteristics of what you're used to. And the other ways of doing it as a roaster result in different flavor characteristics. Um, so that's, that's one, way that I've come uh, come up with to talk to talk to people about flavor rather than roast profile. Um, I, I love that it's the talk. <laughs> That's the talk in talk. coffee. It's great. It's yeah. Hey, listen, we all need translation at some point. I mean, yeah, we do. You try to go from uh, the, try to do the, the, the Starbucks to reality, you know, translation is, is a fun one. What's this yeah. blonde roast thing? Well, <laughs> Mommy, what's a dark roast? <laughs> well, <laughs> when a bean loves a roaster. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, Brian, your turn. You have the uh, French press or AeroPress? AeroPress. Um, I don't use an AeroPress much anymore, but it's what it was my bridge from a French press to what I now tend to brew with, which is pour over. In the middle of that, I, I used heavily an AeroPress for a couple of years, uh, and and I still love them. Um, I I like to introduce them to people who want to do manual brewing um, and are interest, you know, curious about it, want to try it out. Um, if they're coming from like a home coffee pot type situation, um, they're cheap, they're easy to use and learn on. They're really easy to clean. Um, they're relatively quick and um, they're cheap. So it's like, hey, you know, we sell them for about 30 bucks American. Um, and, you know, they, we don't sell a ton of them, but we don't, you know, really push them that hard. But for like people who, who want to try it out, it's like a super low risk and fairly high reward um, scenario for people. And if you're a nerd, they're, they're, like a playground because you can like all the different variables that you can mess with like do you do it the traditional way or do you do it the inverted way and you know all the other crazy stuff that people have come up with wait that what I now even... inverted well what? it's like you the normal way is to set it on the cup and then push down yeah 
inverted is turn the thing upside down and put the plunger in the bottom and then use it as an immersion brewer for like a little bit and then flip it over like put the cap on flip it over and then press it down so it's like a hybrid immersion and then uh, pressure extraction so you can go down that rabbit hole if you want to um, or you can just you know keep things simple so that's my that's my sales pitch for the AeroPress. <laughs> Keep things simple. As I look at the eleven other devices that I have here, right. that I yeah, simple. Yeah, I'm unfortunately one of those people that has more <clears throat> tools than I absolutely need to have in order yeah. to. That's fun. It's all about experimentation. Well, gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. I know time's running up here, but um, this was great. I I appreciate you guys so much. Again, like. I've gotten to know Alex, Brian. I look forward to getting to know you more through, you know, my consumer experience with Rust Heroes, which I have yeah. no doubt will be fantastic. I'm, I'm not worried about that in the slightest. But next year, you know, as we flip the calendar into 2021, I'd love to have you both back. We can, you know, just keep checking in on this stuff. I mean, community changes yeah. all the time, right? The world changes. Thank God. Mm-hmm. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at some point when you know, your Canadians allow us back in, which I find hugely funny that we can take you down here all the time, oh, you know, yeah. land and sea, evidently, okay. uh, not land, <laughs> uh, whatever. We'll get up to Montreal and then, you know, we can plan that special. You have to really plan to get to Iowa, by the way. You have to really, really plan. <laughs> but you got to run. We'll get out to Brian too and maybe do one of these things, uh, you know, in situ as the case may be. But Thank you once again, Brian from Ross Street Roasting Company. Thanks. And then Alex from First Bloom. And uh, gentlemen, it's been a blast. Thanks for building the communities and trust and friendships that you have. And look forward to the greatness that emerges from. Cool. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Elemental Collision. If you'd like to know more about Ross Street Roasting, please go to rossstreetroasting.com. And if you'd like to know more about First Bloom, go to firstbloom.co. Thanks for listening.